0: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar: Tooth Mass Analysis, the Key to Ideal Functional and Aesthetic Invisalign Treatment, with Dr. Doug Brant. Dr. Doug Brant is the staff orthodontic manager at Align Technologies Treatment Facility in Costa Rica. He's been in private practice for the last 28 years and has a large adult patient base. Involved in orthodontic and occlusion education on both the undergraduate and graduate levels, he is on the cutting edge of the latest technologies. Dr. Brandt received his DMD from the University of Saskatchewan and his MS and Certificate in Orthodontics from the University of Detroit. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Brandt. Dr. Brandt, you now have the floor. Thank you very much, David. Uh, Welcome to everyone. I think you're going to be uh, very pleased at the information I'm going to share with you today. There's a lot of things in here that um, when you look at it, tooth mass analysis, sometimes people think of it as what does that really mean? What, what, uh, how does that affect uh, my check setups, and how does that affect actually the outcome or the treatment of the patients? Okay, so let's get started and actually have a look at what we would sort of classify or a definition of uh, tooth mass analysis. Most certainly, if you're able to accurately measure each individual tooth, if you do have the software tools to do that, then there's all kinds of things that you can do in terms of Um, analyzing and being able to take teeth and individual teeth, groups of teeth, and find out exactly what size should they actually be and how they should fit together. So measuring teeth, being able to analyze them with different types of programs, and then going in there and correcting those discrepancies is probably one of the key things to arriving at an ideal check treatment plan set up, as well as being able to drive you towards a, uh, a great outcome uh, in, your, in your treatment, your clinical treatment. So what we're going to do today is we're going to try and sort of convince you in the beginning, just like my two friends here that are discussing, you know, how important is this? Obviously, there was enough of you that felt it was important enough to come on this conference call. But let's look at it and see if I can actually convince you to look at this the way I do and the importance that I have found in it. So the first thing I look at is most certainly stability. Retention to me is the number one thing. We spend more time in retention than we actually do in treatment. And if we don't have the teeth in the right position, then they're going to find a reproducible position. In other words, if they don't fit, they're going to fit. And, of course, we know the incidence of of uh, retention, the incidence of tooth relapse, so the more we can, or the better we can make the teeth fit into maximum intercuspation, the better chance we have of stability, and if we do, then most certainly that's going to make us and the patients much happier. Stability is really based upon equilibrium, and when I say equilibrium, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about having every single tooth adjusted so that there's three point contact. I'm talking about equilibrium, enough contacts in the right position so that those teeth are not gonna move when we're finished treatment. It doesn't mean you're not gonna use retainers. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that at least those teeth are going to be able to function. We're not gonna see a lot of wear. We're not gonna see a lot of other things that we see when teeth don't fit together appropriately. So throughout the day or throughout the morning here, we're going to talk about stability, retention, and keep referring back to that. Number two, let's talk about efficiency. And I think it's, all, it's very important for us. How would we be able to actually be on today's call if we weren't efficient in our practice and didn't have the time to do that? And efficiency, to me, sort of translates down to profitability. And I think we all want to make sure that what we do is effective we're doing a good job, but also that it's, it's helping us out in the profitability section. And I divided it up into three areas, sort of having the correct diagnosis. I mean, spending less time going in there, having the right information so that you're not trying to figure it out mentally all the time or if from your experience makes a big difference. The second thing is Invisalign treatment. We have found that as we start to use the tooth mass analysis, as we start to actually set up cases, we find that the regular set of aligners is less and also less chance for case refinements and and less time in in retention. And number three, as I said, is we're going to keep referring back to the time that we spend in retention. Even though we may see the patient less amounts of time, we're going to see them for a longer period of time. So let's have a quick look at a case here. We're going to look at some other cases later on, but let's just have a quick look at this and see how important it is to be able to understand tooth mass. Look at the lower arch. We've got all kinds of crowding down there. The first thing you're thinking of is, how are we going to align those teeth? Are we going to move them forward? Are we going to have to do any interproximal reduction? Well, look at the upper arch. Where we don't have any crowding, we actually have spacing in the upper arch. Got space in the upper arch, in the anterior, in the lower, we've got crowding. A mismatch. Right away, that tells you that we probably have a two size discrepancy. We've probably got teeth on the lower arch that are too large for the teeth on the upper arch. And then right away that you're thinking well maybe I need to remove some tooth mass in the lower to make them fit with the upper. Well, that's probably not the way we want to go and as you can see the before and after you can see that what we really did was we opened up space. We left some of those space, we actually created more space in the upper. Why? Because we begin with a deep overbite. When you begin with a deep overbite such as this, very seldom do you actually want to take away tooth structure. You want to add tooth structure so that you can end up with an ideal occlusion afterwards. And also the patient is going to be much happier when the teeth are the right size. So no IPR on the lower and space on the upper. As I mentioned before, less time in Invisalign treatment. Let's reinforce that a little bit in terms of less aligners in the first stage. If you're unraveling a malocclusion, what we found is if you're kind of going in the right direction, if you know that there's less tooth mass in the upper and the teeth are too small and you're opening up space, treatment, less aligners means less treatment time, less case refinements, because what we're doing is we're moving in the direction. It's almost like taking and just unraveling a, a puzzle, and you're trying to figure out all the different pieces. Once you realize what is the missing piece and you find it and put it in place, it makes things go along so much easier. And, of course, one of the biggest pluses here is predictability and less challenging tooth movements. That last uh, example that I showed you, the slide before, where we got rid of the deep overbite was all through proclination. You saw that there were a couple of power ridges on there, those blue lines, but most of it was due to not just tipping movements, but more predictable tooth movements. And number three, we can't forget about aesthetics. This is what the patient sees. This is what we see. This is what's actually, you know, one of the most important parts of the treatment as well. So being in harmony, not only having the right size and shape of the teeth, but actually having them fit into an arch form that's ideal for that patient. So when you look at these two smiles, and obviously these are identical twins, you can tell that there's a little difference in there. But both of them have a type of dental arch form that fits for them. And if you take cases and you change that arch form, even if the size of the teeth are normal and you change the arch form too much, you're going to make the patient unhappy. It's just not going to look right. So very, very important. And as you can see here, what happens is many times on the left-hand side is before and on the right-hand side is after the orthodontic treatment and all the spaces were closed in the anterior. Great. I mean, we reached that goal, but what ended up happening was is that there, we had to constrict the arch And we had to over-retract the teeth, so we ended up with anterior prematurities, and many times the result can be a posterior open bite. So those kinds of things, keeping that arch form, being cognizant of that arch form right from the beginning is really important. And having that information in front of you telling you that it would be best to not close all the space would be fantastic. So when we talk about all of the things that we've mentioned so far, it really boils down to two sides. And having the right two size in the upper arch with the lower arch and knowing that ahead of time is what I call the secret to ClinCheck treatment planning success. If we know that information, and the secret is, is because maybe not that many people take it into account or understand it. So once the secret's out, I think you're going to realize how important it is. If we look at a definition of two size discrepancy, you can see that it's really just disproportionate. Amongst individual teeth. So the key word in that definition is individual. Individual. We can go in and measure individual teeth. How do those individual teeth fit into not only the upper arch, not only with the teeth next to them, but with the opposing arch? And so that's going to be kind of the rest of the presentation is going to talk about how we can make that all happen and understand that. And, of course, when you got a good, uh, when we don't have that disproportion and the teeth are the right size and everything is in harmony, we've got a great functional occlusion, correct overbite, correct overjet, Now, it's it's just pretty self-explanatory that we do want to do something in that area. So what I've done is to make it a little simpler. Let's divide two size discrepancy into what I call the three T approach, and uh, the first one is tooth mass measuring, and as you can see it's an active form of the verb, and tooth mass analyses, so we're not just talking about one, we're talking about different ways of looking at it. We're going to concentrate on one today, but most certainly you'll see that there are different ways of looking at this. And then the last one is tooth mass equilibrium, being able to get to a point where the teeth fit well enough, not perfection, I said equilibrium. So tooth mass measuring, if we look at it, and what we're going to concentrate on today is mesial distal only. We're not going to be talking about buccolingual. I'll mention it, and we're not going to be talking about incisal gingival, but most certainly, as you can see, we can measure any aspect of any tooth, and it's just a matter of figuring out how and what we need to do with that information. But we do know that mesial distal has been studied significantly, so that's why we're going to concentrate on that area, and it's going to solve a lot of our problems when we do that. Under tooth mass analyses, you can see there's different ways of approaching it. The only one that has actually formally been done where we do have some data on that is what we call the Bolton analysis, and which is fairly familiar in terms of orthodontic terms, and so we're gonna talk about definition, we're gonna talk about what that actually really means. And then tooth mass equilibrium, we're gonna talk about adding tooth mass, subtracting tooth mass, do we leave space, Do we remove a little bit here? And as you see here, what we've done is kind of colored the teeth, and we're going to go through some cases later on. Yellow is small, purple is too big, and so knowing the different sizes of teeth is going to help us decide whether we need a combination or whether we're going to do it with sort of one form of treatment. Many times it is a combination of adding and subtracting tooth mass in order to reach this ideal state. So If you have the appropriate software, if you can accurately go in and measure individual teeth and be able to compare them from one tooth to the next, it's really important. So if we look at the cuspids, so tooth number 6 on the universal system and tooth number 11, as you can see, there's very small difference between them. In fact, it's an insignificant difference. So the two cuspids are symmetric on the upper arch. If we look at the laterals, you can see they're almost identical. And when we look at the centrals, they're almost identical. So in other words, when we look at all those upper teeth, all of those numbers are very, very close to being symmetrical to, from one lateral to the next, from the cuspid to the next, and the centrals. But what does it mean in terms of how big should the centrals be? How big should the laterals be compared to these central incisors? And how big should the cuspids be? And then we can do the same thing on the lower arch, and I'm not going to get into it, but that's part of the analysis. That's the part of taking all those different numbers, individual numbers, and making some sense out of them and being able to incorporate that into a ClinCheck treatment setup. People have talked about, wow, what about those digital models? I mean, are they as accurate as stone models? So there's been a number of studies done on. This is the most recent one in 2010 out of the University of Montreal where they went in and looked at sort of three different impression materials as well as comparing digital models with CAS, study CAS, and they found that it was very, very reliable. Most certainly, we can expect that accuracy and reliability to jump exponentially when we talk about scanning and being able to go in and even more accurately uh, capture the true anatomy of the teeth. And so, most certainly, everything that we're giving you today is um, way above of what we would need to be able to have accurate measurements. The Bolton analysis, let me see if I can explain it to you in the simplest way. And, and it's not a matter of you being able to understand it completely, but what Dr. Bolton did in 1958, I think it was, he went back and took a bunch of great-fitting, non-treated Uh, cases, almost like uh, Larry Andrews did with his orthodontic models for the straight wire appliance. And he did a number of measurements and came up with some ratios. And he had two ratios and he said, okay, how does the lower anterior and posterior, but today we're going to concentrate on only the anterior. He says, how does the lower anteriors compare to the uppers? What kind of a ratio do we need in order to have this ideal balance? What do these ideal occlusions have that the non-ideal occlusions don't? And how significant does this discrepancy have to be in order for us to take action? When can we look at it and say, doesn't make any difference? And so he came up with some ratios. He did not come up with individual tooth numbers. In other words, he did not come up with millimetric measurements. It was a ratio. And he came up with, if you were one standard deviation away from normal, then he felt that, you needed to look at it much more closely and you needed to do something with the case. If it was two standard deviations, then you had a very, very significant two-size discrepancy that you could probably see. Now, with all the information, with all the, way, the accuracy that we have with measuring this data, we can now start to zone in much more accurately, much more closely at where there's a discrepancy We are able to look at individual teeth, and as you can see here, when we look on the right-hand side of the screen, where it says Bolton 2 size discrepancy, under that column, it's got a plus 2.51 millimeter, cuspid to cuspid. That's a very significant difference. And the case that these numbers come from is the lower image that I show you from an anterior view. And most people say, well, when I have a significant two-side discrepancy of a millimeter or two, I can see that. I've got small laterals. I've got peg-shaped teeth. Well, what I'm going to show you is that your eye can't tell. Your eye isn't going to be able to tell this. We need this information. We need these measurements to be able to make, this, uh, make sense out of, out of this information. So when we look at the Bolton analysis, what does it provide? What does it actually give us? So the discrepancy in total mesial distal tooth mass is what it does when looking at groups of teeth. In other words, what it provides is a measurement taking all of the six lower incisors, uh, lower anteriors, and the, all six of the upper anteriors and creating a ratio, combining the numbers and saying, you have this big a discrepancy when you look at groups or when you look at this bunch of teeth. What it doesn't provide is and probably which is more important is where is the discrepancy? And let's take it from a ratio to actually a, a measurement, a millimetric measurement that we understand in the dental world and be able to, you know, figure out that and be able to decide where do we actually need to add, which teeth need to be uh, looked at. Because with Bolton, you knew that there was a discrepancy, so what people needed to do in the past before we had. the the software and the way of measuring it accurately, they would have to go in and measure each individual tooth. They would have to see now which one kind of looks like it's smaller than the other one. The other thing is, is how does it relate to the dental arch? Now, so when we look at tooth mass uh, equilibrium, we need to decide a number of things. Most certainly, it's not just the teeth, as I pointed out on that important thing between those two frogs that were looking at each other and they said, What's important to us? Well, most certainly, harmony. Most certainly, harmony facially. The patient really doesn't care many times unless they have very, very small teeth or large teeth. They're most interested in how's it all going to look at the end? How's my smile going to look? And as us, when we're using Invisalign, we need to make sure that we're looking at all these different areas like lip support. Buckle corridor, incisal display, position of the maxillary, central incisors. Where do we want those teeth to end up? Because that's what supports the lip. That's what gives us the incisal display. What's our existing malocclusion like? I pointed out, do we start off with a deep overbite? Those are the things that you still need to look at. But having tooth size built into that is really kind of the ace in the hole. I mean, it's really giving us a chance to figure out how we can make all of these much more harmonious. And so equilibrium is the key. What is equilibrium? Well, it's just a state or situation where all the forces, factors, and everything are stable. In other words, when you bite down, teeth touch. It's not like one tooth touches or two teeth touch and the rest don't. So the more or the better we can make them fit, the better we're gonna have in stability and in outcome of treatment. So let's look at a couple of patients here where the 3T approach was used. The fellow on the left most certainly is different because he was treated a long time ago, almost back when Invisalign was conceived, very soon afterwards. And back then you'll see how much work I actually had to go go through physically to be able to make this case um, end up the way it did. The patient on the right, at that time we were able to use um, it, was, it was before G3 and G4 innovations, but we were able to use a lot of the things that we didn't have for the young fellow on the left. So let's look at the the patient on the left first, and from there we can then move forward. So right away when you look at it, just a little history on this patient, and I want you, while I'm talking, to try and answer this question, where would you say the two-size discrepancy is? And when we look at him, you can see it looks like a class 3 malocclusion in terms of dental malocclusion. In other words, the upper teeth are biting in behind the lowers. And uh, a little bit of history on this, he already had some orthodontic treatment before, some fixed appliances, and for whatever reason, those teeth had a tendency to eventually relapse into this position. Most certainly, you can see that they fit well the way they are, and stability is there, equilibrium is there, but that's not what's good for the patient. So equilibrium of the teeth, when he has them together, fine, but equilibrium with the rest of his facial structures isn't. And uh, can anybody actually tell where the two-size discrepancy is? It doesn't jump out at you. So that's where measuring these teeth makes a big, big difference in the total treatment time. You can look at the upper arch, and as we do, you can see there's spaces distal to one cuspid. There's spaces a little bit between the centrals, the arch form in the upper looks wider than the lower. You can see that this patient, because of the way they bite, very difficult, chewing and all kinds of enamel erosion, enamel wear from not being able to function appropriately. So not only is, do we look at this and say the teeth don't fit, but where do we need to move them? What do we need to do in terms of getting a stable occlusion when we're all done? So how many picked out which teeth? So how reliable is the visual diagnosis for two size? Well, about 20% of the time. And about 20% of the time is the time that you have teeth that kind of jump out like peg laterals, very large lower anteriors or bicuspids that are huge. So in other words, what I'm really trying to say is most of the time you can't tell visually. You need more than just the visual approach to finding out where the two size discrepancy is. So what we did was, because he had so many headaches, and that was the main reason he came to me, we put him on a splint, and in CRO, or Centric Relation Occlusion, you can see that he's biting on the anterior teeth. So the trick is, in terms of diagnosis, which way do we go? Well, right away, some people may say, we just do IPR in the lower. Other people will say, no, we want to advance the uppers. Well, what we really want to find out is, if we do advance the uppers, because we started off with space and we don't have any crowding is that actually going to open up some space? If we take the lowers and actually go in there and retract them and do IPR, maybe the uppers are too small, maybe the lowers are too big. We need the information. We need the two-side discrepancy to determine that. So as I said, this was done much before Invisalign innovations came about, and so I had to do all of this on a set of models. In other words, I needed to go in there and I needed to figure out what kind of length do I need, how much tooth mass is gone, How much do I actually need to advance the teeth? Do I need to bring my upper anteriors forward by how much? Do I need to constrict an arch, expand an arch? How's everything going to fit together when I'm done? And all of that had to be done physically. In other words, I needed all of this kind of information. I needed all these tools. I needed this caliper up here to measure all the teeth. I needed a sophisticated articulating system. And I needed to set the bite with the technician, and the ClinCheck, as you can see right here, when we set it up, there was no occlusion, nothing touched, and I didn't know for sure whether it was going to all work out that way, mainly because I didn't have the information that we have today. So if I'd have had a Bolton analysis, if I'd have had the to- mesial-distal tooth movement, uh, mesial-distal measurements, if I'd have had a bite coordination tool, if I was able to add the torque where I wanted to, then most certainly I would not have had to spend anywhere near as much time to be able to figure out my diagnosis. So here it was. I mean, most certainly we got things pretty well where we wanted. This is after six months with the Invisalign system, wearing the aligners. We did advance the uppers. We did bring the lowers back. There was no interproximal reduction. We left space around the maxillary lateral incisors, and we knew from all the pre-treatment workup that I did that we were going to go in and we were going to do restorative in combination with that. So we restored the upper tiers and as you can see, they look great, nice color, nice shape, nice size, but all of that had to be done on a set of models. It would have been nice to have those measurements ahead of time, knowing how much space I needed to create, and being able to end up with a nice, pleasing smile where everything fits, where everything functions Appropriately, where it's going to be much more tentative rather than sort of flying by the seat of your pants and uh, and spending all that time. So the second case that you can see right here is a different one, and I talk about lip support. And as you can see, the last thing we want to do is bring the upper jaw, the upper uh, teeth back, or the upper lip back. We talk about buckle would Be nice to round that out. We talk about the position of the upper incisors, as we said, we'd maybe like to move those up a little bit. Look how much tissue this young fellow shows when he smiles, and he's not even giving us a big smile. So when we look at all these different things and take it into account, and you start to see spaces, and I think in this case, you can pretty well tell if you're looking at those lateral incisors, incisors do look a little bit smaller than average, but here we are again, upper spacing and lower crowding, and how does that all actually fit together We need to find out. So making measurements and finding out exactly how much we need, how much space we need to leave around the teeth, what do we need to do in the lower arch, how much IPR do we need to leave in the lower arch, because how much overbite did he have in the beginning? If we go back, almost none. So if we look at the case again and look after the, before we do the restorative, you can see we were able to maintain that overbite. If we don't take that into account at the same time, we're incorporating the tooth mass analysis analysis, we're going to end up with a functional occlusion that isn't quite right. So here we are after the veneers were done on the lateral incisors. And as you can see, everything looks much more harmonious. He's happy. Everything fits. We've got better retention. Those upper laterals cannot go fall in behind the lowers. That was all built upon a Bolton analysis, a two-size discrepancy. So if we look at this a little bit more closely, let's dig into this and see how important, again, it is to understand or be able to have this information available to you. If we look through the literature, you can see up here it says studies have reported that twenty to thirty percent of people have significant two size. Well, that was based upon a two standard deviations from norm. In other words, two standard deviations is huge. Two standard deviations is you can actually see that there's a two size discrepancy. If we narrow that down, then I have a strong belief that most well, certainly A2 size discrepancy exists in much more, in a higher percentage of the population. And down here, they just talk about how important it is to have that incorporated into your diagnosis and treatment plan. So as you can see, the resource is mine only. Dr. Brandt's experience, no documented evidence, but I've got a feeling that in about a third of the cases... There's no discrepancy, and those are the ones that you can go through and you won't have any problems with whatsoever. They'll fit together. A third of the patients, right here, it'll be measurable and visual. Visual. And you'll be able to see it. So you'll go in there, the patient will open their mouth, and you'll be able to look in there, and you'll see small laterals or big laterals or other big central incisors. But I think it's this area right here, this red part of the pie, where it's only measurable is going to keep us out of a lot of trouble. And I think that's the important one is right here. Most certainly, we'll know that we need it here. These ones over here will get lucky a third of the time, but these are the ones that are going to, you know, sort of end up with maybe doing IPR on the wrong arch and ending up doing a lot more refinement and a lot of other things. Also, which is extremely important, and we built a lot of our treatment upon it, is functional occlusion and having the right anterior guidance. Now this seems a little different. Why am I throwing this into it? Well, as you can see, functional harmony between the sagittal condylar path inclination and the anterior guidance inclination is very, very closely related. If these factors, if the condyles and the anterior teeth aren't along the same path, if they're not functioning the way they should be, we can end up with all kinds of issues. And this was just a study where they went in, and they actually did it on a true hinge axis. They looked at the condylar path, and they also looked at the in functional incisal path, and they came up with some significant numbers. And it, they, the correlation was very, very strong. And what it really says in here, and let me just summarize this for you, it says it's extremely important that we have the right interincisal contact points. It's very important that we have the right Interincisal angle, if you want to call it. It's extremely important that we have light contacts on these part of the incisors. It's very important that we have the right torque on teeth. If we don't, then what's going to end up happening is it's not going to sort of be in function with, the dentition's not going to be in function with the joint. And if we look at Peter Dawson and look at his book, almost exactly all the things I've talked about this morning, he talks about in this occlusion summary, where if you have the right contact points in the anterior teeth and they're all functioning normally and you don't have back teeth that are rubbing, then I think you've got a good, stable, sort of ideal occlusion for that patient that's going to hold up over the long term. So that's what we're shooting for. And I think that the more you look at the 2 side discrepancy, incorporate that into it, what we found is it's easier to set up cases. This is not how we want the final to end up. We do not want to have contacts that deep and on the facial surface of the lower incisors. We want to make sure that we have the right torque, right angulations, a- angulation, and then I think we're going to end up with a much better stable occlusion. So heavy contacts, even as little as this on the facial surface can make a huge difference in terms of how the back teeth function later. If anything, you want to err a little bit more towards having lighter, lighter contacts and as close as you can get them on the incisal edge of the lower anteriors. So what about people that actually, we didn't talk about this, we're not going to spend any more time than what uh, I am right on one slide, but I'm going to just mention that people that have shovel-shaped teeth, we call them, sort of shaped like a shovel or have very prominent lingual um, marginal ridges, those people usually end up with contact points that should be down towards the incisal edge because that's the most normal area of the teeth. And this can affect the occlusion. This can create more class 2 situation. It can do all kinds of things. And as you can see, this patient doesn't have any contact in their anterior teeth right now because they've had relapse. And the relapse has gone into where it's better to have no contact in the anteriors than to have them on these premature marginal ridges. So... In the future we'll look more closely at this area, but we're going to concentrate on mainly the mesial distal. So I showed you this before, and if you don't take this into account, and you don't have the right interocclusal contact points, most certainly you're going to end up with situations that are going to be a little bit more difficult to deal with later on. Just another example. So where two-size discrepancy tooth mass analysis wasn't taken into account, yes, if you look at these individual arches, they look, the teeth look straight, but if you look at how the occlusion is in a refinement, you can see that the contacts are only on the anterior teeth. So this just doesn't match with this. Do we need to take away more from this arch, or do we need to add to this arch? Well, that's something that the analysis, that's something that the two-size discrepancy will help us decide, help us diagnose and treatment plan. So let's look at this now and look at a few ClinCheck treatment plan diagnostic setups, and that's going to help us sort of put it all together here and see how it actually works if you did send in a case and wanted that to be done. So, again, it's the power of the numbers. Do we have small teeth? Do we have large teeth? Um, That needs to be measured. And we're going to talk, again, concentrate on mesial distal today tooth mass analysis even though that's the title that's and that's the probably the most important part we still need the individual tooth measuring measurements in order for us to be able to calculate calculate this Bolton analysis or this discrepancy and then thirdly do we add or do we subtract or we do we do both so using the 3T approach what we're going to do is we're going to look at six different ClinCheck treatment plan setups. And before we do that, I just wanted to let you know that what we did is we took some examples and we had the technicians set them up with sort of some simple guidelines. And here were some of the guidelines. In other words, we didn't use a any specific RX form and everything, but here were some of the norm, the guidelines. We wanted them to most certainly normalize the disproportional teeth. In other words, you know, after we get the numbers, we want, do we want to make them bigger or smaller? That most certainly was part of it. We also wanted the occlusion should always be moving towards ideal. In other words, everything that the technician is doing, if it's moving towards less than ideal, then we need to go back and recalculate these or re-look at those numbers. And we want to make sure that we use the most predictable tooth movements. What's interesting is as we set up these cases, When we went back and looked at them, the the predictable tooth movements, every single one of these cases was set up with very, very predictable tooth movements. What we also wanted to do was, you know, because of the system and because it's so accurate, many times we'll end up with measurements that are, you know, even if there might be a slight discrepancy, do we actually need to do anything about it? If, If the discrepancy is less, the Bolton discrepancy is less, than 0.5 millimeters, do we really need to do anything about it? Do we need to do IPR? Do we need to leave spaces? So the technician was told to try and avoid leaving spaces because most of the time 0.5 millimeters, what we've found is anything less than 0.5 millimeters, um, we probably can get the teeth to fit together, get the contacts where we want them without having to leave space in the arch. We can usually do it with a little bit of interproximal reduction. The final determinant though which is the most important one, is throughout all of this, as the technician is setting up the ClinCheck treatment plan, the final determinant is based upon these contacts. In other words, if we cannot establish these contacts, then we're going to alter everything else that we do here. This is the final determinant. Why? Because that's the most important. Without anterior contacts in the right spot in anterior function, we're not going to be able to, um, stability and all of the things that we talked about before. So what I want you to do, just here are some things to give you an idea of what you're going to look at when we show you these ClinCheck treatment plant setups, is teeth that are smaller than average were colored yellow, as I mentioned before, and the ones that are larger are colored purple. So when we open the ClinCheck, the next slide, you're going to see any tooth that's colored yellow is smaller than average compared and being able to compare the numbers. The before ClinCheck treatment plan images have a chart that shows the Bolton two-size discrepancy in millimeters. So you're going to see a chart that comes up. And in that chart, it's going to talk to you. It's going to show you the discrepancy, and I want you to focus in. You're going to see 3 to 3, and you're going to see 6 to 6. What it means is 3 to 3 is anterior, and 6 to 6, which you're not going to really look at to any great detail, focus in on the 3 to 3, which is the anterior teeth. The after ClinCheck treatment plan images that I'm going to show you the chart's going to be different. It's going to actually show you where we left space and where we did interproximal reduction. And then finally, the before and after images show occlusal marks, and you're going to be able to see where every single one of them in the final image, you'll be able to see them on the initial, but you'll be able to see them on the final end up on that lower incisal um, uh, edge and in the appropriate position and light in, in contact. So case number one, before, the two-size discrepancy, the Bolton discrepancy, what it said was when we measured these six lower anterior teeth, combined them all together, these six upper anterior teeth, combined all of the mesial distal widths together and performed the Bolton analysis, it indicated that there was 0.21 millimeters of excess tooth mass in the lower So what that meant is if people use that as only excess in the lower, they would say, well, we need to do IPR in the lower arch. Wrong. Because when you look at the teeth that are colored yellow, these teeth are too small. So this is where Bolton's discrepancy, Bolton's analysis, only tells you that it's in an arch and there's too much tooth mass in that arch. So if it was the maxillary arch, it would say excess and maxillary excess, three to three of whatever. All that says is there's an excess. It's a guide. It tells you there's an excess. What the software does, it goes in and actually looks at each individual tooth and identifies these two teeth as being smaller than average. Why? We can look at norms. We can look at golden proportions. There's a number of different ways. But even your eye will tell you right from the beginning, these, there's a space in the upper and there's crowding in the lower. What did I say before? Crowding in the lower, spacing on the upper, you're thinking right away there has to be a two size discrepancy. Are these too large or are these too small? And when we go and do the measurements, you can see that these are too small. Also looking at the rest of the arch, you can see that we've got a deep overbite. The lower teeth are already tipped in. The upper teeth are straight up and down. So if we remove tooth mass, most of the time removing tooth mass in an arch with a deep overbite many times can deepen that overbite. And when we remove tooth mass down here, it may have a tendency to, when we close the space, to actually move those teeth in a bit. And if they already begin in and we move them more to get rid of that, so everything points towards this result. So the technician was given this, and we told the technician, what we want you to do, final determinant is leaving contacts. And they're very, very light along here. You can just barely see them. Right here on the incisal edge. What we want you to do is treat this case, and in order, and your final determinant is the contact points, you're going to leave space around the upper lateral incisors. How much space do we need? Well, the discrepancy was 0.21 millimeters. But as you can see, we left space distal to both laterals for symmetry, and adding that extra space on the other side allowed us to establish these contact points. So the Bolton analysis was a guide. It told us we had a discrepancy. We measured the teeth. We knew we had small lateral incisors. The final, the determinant, the final amount of space that's left in there is determined by the final occlusion. No IPR, only space left around these lateral incisors. And most certainly you can see the deep overbite. This was all done through proclination. This was all done through proclination. Little expansion, rounding out the arches, occlusion stayed the same, Midlines are on because we allowed enough space. If we had only left a little bit of space here, if we'd only left 0.1 distal to each lateral, according to Bolton, we would have had premature contacts. We would not have been able to align these teeth in the lower arch. Second case, if we look at this case, you can see that these teeth, remember purple is too large, yellow is too small. Bolton discrepancy indicated 0.55 millimeters of mandibular excess. In other words, we know that these teeth are too large, so we've got 0.5. All that is is a guide saying these teeth measure, too, when we measure them, they're too large compared to what norms are. And what Bolton says is that you have an excess in the lower. These laterals are a little bit smaller than average, But what it also did was, and I'm not going to talk about the posterior teeth at all, but what's interesting in this case, it showed that there was a maxillary excess. So why do we have a big overjet? Why do we have a situation where we're class two? Did this malocclusion develop because of these large posterior teeth? Probably. The only way they could fit into the arch was push these forward and come into a class two situation. So as you're going to see, this case was set up not only reducing the anterior teeth down here, but also reducing the posterior teeth on the upper to improve the class 1, or improve the class 2 to class 1, maintain the overbite. We did not leave any space around the laterals. This is the amount of tooth mass that was actually removed from the upper posteriors, and these lower teeth were made normally sized so that they were very, very close to the size of the right central incisor. So going in and normalize, as you can see, we did a little bit more IPR than what was indicated in the Bolton discrepancy, three, six, nine, one point two. 1.2. So it's almost double of what Bolton indicated. But the final determinant, again, as you can see, slight, slight contacts on the lower anterior teeth. So if we do need to do a little bit more than what Bolton says, which is fine, because we're basing our final occlusion, our final fit of the teeth, is going to be based upon that, those contact points. This case I showed you before where very interesting because you would have never expected that all of these teeth were smaller than average. But when you compare them to the size that they're supposed to be, these teeth and these teeth, in order for them to fit, we actually needed to create space around each one of these incisors. So 2.91 millimeters, which is very significant. If you did receive that number or see that number, you would know right away that, wow, there's a significant discrepancy. Is it because these are too large or is it because these are too small? Is it because these are a little bit too large and is it because these are a little bit too small? Do I need to take a little bit away from here? Most certainly having a deep, deep overbite like that, we're going to err more towards leaving space around small teeth than we're ever going to take away tooth mass. So a deep, deep overbite, right away you're thinking, if it ever possible, with teeth that are straight up and down and tipped in like this, I want to bring those teeth forward. And if I do need to leave space in the upper arch, it's going to allow me to set up this case. So again, case was treated, as you can see, with the power ridges that are down here, just put those on to indicate... There was no torque in the upper anteriors, all proclination. Most of the lower anteriors had proclination with a little bit of torque on a couple of teeth. Midlines are on, same buccal occlusion, class one occlusion, all through alignment of teeth. And again, our final determinant with contacts on the lower incisors. So how much space was needed? Two, four, six, eight. How much space did we need, indicate? A lot more. Why would there be that much of a discrepancy? Just because it's built upon ratios. So the Bolton analysis is good. It's not extremely accurate, but allowing us to go in and look at these other dimensions, looking at the malocclusion, taking into account other factors allows us to set up those teeth. Here's the most common situation we come up, we deal with many times is where you have, and you can see it right away. You've got a big space between these two teeth. A lot of times people say, well, if I just close that space together, then and because and, I know those lateral incisors are too small, then I'm going to be okay. Well, the, that's okay, but the problem is going to be is that when we're done, if we don't leave the appropriate space, then they're going to look too large. They may look like they're four central incisors. So the measurements indicated that there was 1.27 millimeters of excess in the mandibular arch You can see that these are too small, so that's adding to this excess in the lower arch. Laterals are too small in the upper, but the lower laterals are too big in the lower. And that's what you find most of the time. They are the most common teeth to be disproportionate other than third molars. But its upper laterals are number one and lower laterals are number two when we look at two size discrepancy in individual teeth. So as you can expect, space was created around the upper laterals, distal to the laterals, and IPR was done On the lower laterals, now, you know that we prescribe the IPR to be done on both teeth, on the teeth on either side of an interproximal space, but within this, you can take it away from one tooth. You do not need to take it away from both teeth. Knowing that the laterals are too big, when you get back the interproximal reduction, you will know that you're going to take it off the lateral incisors more than you're going to take it off the central incisors. Case number five, it's interesting because the midlines, many times our midlines are off because the teeth on one side are larger than the other, and that's what we have here. So again, small maxillary lateral incisors compared to the centrals. When we look at, you know, when people start talking about how many or what percentage do we have small maxillary lateral incisors, I think we're talking about probably a good 50 60%. A lot of times you can't see it, but when you start, you know, looking at golden proportions and everything, most certainly I think those teeth are are smaller than average. So as you can expect, in this case right here, what we did was to be able to correct the midlines, didn't leave any space around the laterals because they weren't that small, but we did reduce just these three teeth, and it was easy tooth movement to be able to correct that midline. And as you can see, they're leaning that way. Cuspid root is distal. Lateral root is slightly distal. Central root is even more distal. So doing IPR in those teeth allowed us to upright them. A little bit of torque on that one with the power ridge, but most of it was easy uprighting the crown over the root, just a matter of creating the space. And again, ideal contact points on the lower anteriors. Case number six is going to be the last one that we close with here. And the interesting thing about this one is, is that the discrepancy is is, as you can see, the Bolton discrepancy is more than a half a millimeter, it's a millimeter, and measured, these teeth came up as larger than average, these laterals came up as larger than average, and the upper laterals came up as smaller than average. So again, lower crowding, upper spacing. So you know right away, you've got a two-size discrepancy. The question is, is where are the teeth that are too large? Where are the teeth that are too small. We know the laterals are too small because we can probably visually see that but how big do they need to be? And what I did here was just for the fun of it I set it up different ways. I set it up where we only did IPR in the lower arch and you can see how heavy the contacts became. In other words even after everything we did you can see how we've got attachments on there to try and control the root movements. You can see how upright the lower anterior's ended. So when they're that upright the upper anterior's are that upright even though they don't look like it from the occlusal view, you're going to end up with contact points on the facial surface. This is the type of case that you're probably going to end up with lack of posterior contact because you're going to have anterior prematurity. So how about if we just left spaces in the upper arch? Well, the spaces become pretty large. In other words, we need to go in there, we need to restore all of these teeth. Yes, the contact points end up ideally, no IPR in the lower, better torque, better position of the teeth, but most certainly it requires a lot of restorative afterwards. So how about a combination of the two where we do IPR in the lower arch and we leave space just around these teeth, not as big, and you can see that was the most ideal. So we reduce the space left around these teeth, and when we do that, probably what we could do is remove the space that you see right here, leave it just around the laterals, and because laterals are on a curve and we can many times add up to almost two millimeters on a distal and hide it in the arch. In other words, you would never be able to see it. We probably could leave it just around. But this is a good diagnostic way of being able to look in there and say, if I did a combination of these two approaches, how would I end up? So if you're interested in actually having this done in your cases, I've tried to put together some instructions. And what I want you to do is I want you to make sure that um, you know, at this stage, it's new, it's new here, we, are, uh, we use it here when we set up cases, but uh, most certainly there's a lot of things that still need to be done in the area. But I think it's worth, if nothing else, using it as a diagnostic tool. So even if you, you know, do not want to have the, the setups done, using it, most certainly just having the information is important. So to obtain a tooth mass analysis, for your cases, you would need to place a comment in the special instruction section of your prescription form. You would need to be specific as to whether you want just the Bolton analysis numbers. In other words, as I showed you there, it would, in most of the case, it gives you mandibular excess, but it would, we would just send you the numbers, and I'll give you an example. Or if you would like us to set up the ClinCheck treatment plan using the Bolton numbers as well, as let you know which teeth are affected. Most of the time, you're going to see the teeth that are affected because that's the ones we're doing IPR on or we're leaving space around those teeth. So if you indicate on the RX form that you only want the Bolton analysis numbers, this is what we would send you as a comment. Dear Dr. Brandt, or whoever, the Bolton analysis indicate, indicated that there is 2.24 millimeters of mandibular excess tooth mass as calculated from cuspid to cuspid. And you then would go, just like a lot of doctors that want this, they're going to go in there and they will take that number and say, wow, it's significant, first of all. And it's probably, considering it's that much, it's probably not just due to large lower anterior teeth. It's probably a combination of small uppers and large lowers, or it could be just... So it allows them to focus in and know that it's significant. If you had gotten back a note indicating that there, the Bolton analysis was less, but it was 0.4, then it's probably something that's not going to even need to be adjusted or taken into account. What you will not get from us is you're not going to get individual tooth measurements. I mean, We're not going to go in there and give you a list of all the teeth and the individual mesial distal tooth measurements. We're not going to tell you which are disproportionate, okay? And most certainly, we're not going to tell you how to correct it. But just having that information will help you make some decisions or help guide you to more um, a diagnostic plan or to a a better uh, ClinCheck setup and probably more predictable tooth movements. If you do want it incorporated into your ClinCheck treatment plan, then you would have to ask for that, and we would send you back this type of comment. Your ClinCheck treatment plan was set up using the Bolton analysis from cuspid to cuspid. The analysis indicated one point three millimeters of discrepancy, which was resolved by leaving appropriate space around the undersized maxillary lateral incisors and performing IPR on the oversized mandibular lateral incisors. Again, you will not, you will not, even if you ask for it, you won't get individual tooth movements. So this is the case, one point three or one point two seven, and that you would get that type of comment back with this type of setup. And then it's up to you. Whether you want to close the space, whether you want to add more IPR in the lower arch, whether you want to do other things, is all up to you. All it does is hopefully, almost like GPS, help you understand, get you in the right area, and then you can make the final decision. So I think if we look at the information that I've presented here today, I think we can all agree that it's probably not a bad thing to have this information at hand. And it is an important part of the puzzle. What's very interesting, and I do want to mention this, is as we were starting to have the technicians set up the cases, what we realized was this was actually being incorporated a lot of times into many of the clin checks that we sent out without ever taking these numbers into account. Why? Because many times we were doing interproximal reduction in areas to align midlines. Many times we were you know, doing IPR in order to um, establish the right interincisal angle or interincisal contact points. And so most well, certainly it's going to help you and help uh, you know, the technician know that you need that information, but I think that uh, you know, just the way the system works right now, it has a significant advantages to it. I want to thank Dr. Brandt for a great presentation. And we look forward to seeing you on another ASCII Expert webinar. Thanks very much.